0: Welcome to this Brewery Pro podcast. This podcast was part of the Hop Products Australia's 2021 Virtual Harvest Program. Today, HPA's Owen Johnston chats with Simon Wittick, who has been in charge of HPA's breeding program since 2007. Together, they go behind the scenes to see what it takes for a hop to climb to the ranks from an experimental variety to a commercial success. Stay tuned for a special Q&A with Mark Goldsmith, Group Manager of Raw Materials Asahi Premium Beverages. Mark has been involved in many brewing trials during his time in the industry. He knows exactly what it takes for an experimental hop variety to be considered for inclusion in a commercial release beer. If you'd like to go straight to the Q&A, check the show notes for time codes.
1: Welcome to our hop breeding facility, located at Bushy Park Estates, Tasmania. Today, we're going to meet Dr Simon Wittick, head of our agronomic services, and leader of our hop breeding program. We're going to go behind the scenes and see what it takes to bring an experimental cultivar right through to commercialisation.
2: The beer industry has evolved in a big way, and so has our hop breeding program. It began way back in the 1950s when our focus was on improving alpha acid yield. Then the early craft beer movement rolled around in the 1980s and beer drinkers began to move away from low aromas and bitterness toward more diverse flavours. So we changed tack to give the brewers what the people wanted and began to breed uniquely Australian flavour hops.
1: Since then, our hops have moved from a bittering commodity to heroes of the modern beer world. Of course, this is no happy accident, but the outcome of a rigorous hop breeding program that generates new cultivars of interest every year. And this is where the magic starts. G'day, Simon. So the genetic diversity represented on these benches could have implications for the industry for many years to come. Is it possible there are flavours here that are not currently available to brewers?
2: That's certainly something we're working towards with these seedlings here. So the process starts in January. We come to our collection of international and Australian developed genotypes and we select the female plants that we want. We isolate the female flowers from the plants that we need before they're fertilised. And then once we've confirmed that the flowers that we've isolated are fertile, we had the pollen that we need. So how many of these crosses do you do a year? We deploy about 30 or 40 of these bags on each site each year. Uh, this is one that we've got here It's worked really well. Those 30 to 40 crosses in every annual cycle result in between three and 4,000
1: seedlings deployed
2: into the program every year.
1: So we've targeted the male and the female and successfully Cross them in the bag. Does that give you insight into what you expect to happen? That whole process
2: feeds back. It gives us information about the agronomic performance and the expected flavour outcomes when you use a particular male or a particular female.
1: So we know uh, the parent heritage. We've got a, a target in mind for agronomics and flavour indicators that we're looking for. Uh, what happens next? After harvest, we come through and we collect the mature
2: hop cones and clean the seed from those. Uh, We then stratify the seed over winter before germinating it in the greenhouse in October. So we reduce the seedling population systematically over a number of years. What's the the very first uh, stage of screening? So the very first stage of screening is on sex phenotype. We've collaborated with UTAS and Diversity Arrays Technology in Canberra to develop a molecular marker system that has the capability of differentiating female from male plants in the nursery.
1: What's the benefit of applying molecular marker technology?
2: So being able to identify female plants early in the process, we're able to deploy a higher quality of material into our field trials. Unfortunately, it won't Uh, decrease the amount of time it takes to produce a new cultivar in the breeding program but it will increase the likelihood of a good outcome. The second phase of screening is looking at the plants very closely in the field and we want to see consistent high agronomic performance, a consistent picking window and good yield outcomes over a number of years. Does flavour come into selections at this point? So after six or seven years of field trials we will select from among the elite plants some plants to go into internal brewing trials and the success rate from three to four thousand cultivars to commercialization oh, is much less than one percent it's probably one percent at each step of the process
1: it seems as though there's quite a lot of decisions to be made on farm before a brewer gets to see an experimental variety. What's a a typical timeline before uh, a a sample will go to a brewery for a trial?
2: We wouldn't let samples of an experimental genotype go out to a brewery inside six years. Sometimes it might be eight or ten years depending on the circumstances.
1: And who do you target for
2: trial work? The best brewing targets for our program at that early stage are breweries with small scale capability and a good sensory program.
1: So trying to link what we observe from the agronomic screening process to meaningful sensory data coming back in to complement our decision making.
2: That's right, just like we need to see reproducible agronomic outcomes in our experimental trials, we need to see reproducible sensory outcomes in different contexts, in different beers.
1: So can you give us an example of a recent successful commercialisation and the timeframes involved in that one?
2: In 2020 we released Eclipse, which first appeared in our program as a seedling in 2004 and made its first appearance in a seasonal beer in 2012.
1: And have you got a couple of examples of other highlights from the program?
2: Um, Galaxy was bred in 1994 and was released on a commercial basis in 2009. And Enigma was bred in 2002 and released as a commercial prospect in 2015.
1: It's a really fantastic result, isn't it? At quite a rate. The collaborative nature of the beer industry is extremely helpful when we're bringing a new hop to market. We're able to work closely with brewers during the trial phase to capture valuable sensory data. This ensures that we only progress hops that can achieve agronomic success and brewer acceptance. It's a long process from start to finish, but it's worth the wait. G'day. Thanks for taking the time to tour our breeding facility. It's the hub of our agricultural innovations and the reason we can bring choice and diversity to brewers. I'm joined by two great guys. with me is Simon, of course, and Mark Goldsmith from Asahi Beverages. Simon's manager of our agronomic services and heads our hop breeding program. Journey into uh, hop breeding began with uh, a science background uh, and a PhD in uh, quantitative genetics. That's correct. I don't even know what that means necessarily. Now, Simon's been with us for uh, many years, joining the HPA team in 2008. And uh, I believe that constitutes expert-level knowledge in hop breeding by now, uh, especially given the successful releases we've had uh, of proprietary varieties in in the recent past. Thanks, RJ. We're also joined by Mark Goldsmith, uh, Group Senior Manager of Raw Materials Development at Asahi Beverages. Uh, Now, later on, Mark, I'm going to get you to explain what that that title (laughs) involves on a day-to-day basis, because... Uh, That's a ripper too. Mark's been actively involved in uh, brewing trials uh, with our experimental varieties for many, many years. Uh, And and Mark, you're approaching 30 years in the industry through various quite well-known operations like uh, Matilda Bay, CB, uh, SAB Miller through that period, AB InBev, and now more recently Asahi Beverages. A keen interest in raw materials has seen and contribute to quality assurance, production, research and development, as well as brewery support over this long journey. And uh, I thought this was quite interesting, Mark, and I wasn't actually aware of this, that your PhD uh, was in the mechanisms and control of light strike. we'll have to have a beer and talk about that at some point. Anyway, uh, welcome. Thank you for making yourself available and uh, sharing your experience of, uh, agricultural innovation and particularly uh, particularly your insights into, into hops.
3: Uh, thanks, Simon and OJ. Welcome. Uh, it's nice to be here and I uh, hope there's some people out there listening. So <laughs> welcome the opportunity to uh, say something about what we've done and what I've done at CUB and uh, the various roles I've had. Thank you.
1: Uh, I'm going to take the opportunity to pepper these guys with some questions. And Simon, first one's for you. There's only a handful of hot breeding programs in the world. Uh, does ours differ in any particular way? Yeah, I think the,
2: um, the main difference that we have in our program is, is a structural one within the business and that we're completely vertically integrated and we own the process from plant breeding to propagation, deployment, production and marketing. So other programs around the world, they tend to be different stakeholders at different stages along the way. So we can be a little more clear in our decision-making possibly um, have a bit more control in those
1: areas so uh, a a, a timeliness of uh, you know an outcome and a decision to progress or not to progress is is somewhat easier in this vertically integrated business if so long provided that we are clear on our objectives within the business Yeah, yeah 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 Um, are you seeing any, from both our program and from other programs, are you seeing any global trends emerging in hop breeding in the recent past? I think the, the interesting ones that I've noticed recently
2: is the push towards um, more efficient growing methodologies with, a, with a, an emphasis on sustainability, so improving yield, improving water use efficiency and nutri- nutrition and things like that. I think that might be, that'll be the another, part of the next generation of hop breeding efforts. Is, is the, the quest for higher alpha still active? Definitely. Yeah. I think so. The, that's a, an important factor for a hop producer and for the brewing industry globally, that the yield of alpha uh, per hectare is a, is a really critical um, element
1: of the, the hop and beer world. Does, does the quest for alpha influence the way we approach our current value paradigm in our breeding program? That's an interesting question. Um, (laughs) Question without notice. Yes, absolutely. Um,
2: Well, well, I guess it it is interesting in two ways. One, we need to maintain the capability to deploy high alpha hops Mm -hmm. should that be what the market requires. So we need to maintain those genotypes that we know produce high yielding, high alpha um, offspring that we can assess. Uh, the, The other element is that a lot of the modern high intensity flavor hops tend to be associated with at least moderately high levels of alpha acid you get the metabolite accumulation yeah, that's associated with true that. of ours currently isn't it that seems to be the case from uh, varieties like galaxy and eclipse and big secret and
1: things like that so the 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 pursuit of alpha is still relevant um as is some of the some of those fundamental principles like overall agricultural yield um what where does the balance lie? Can can you describe that if if a hop has a a a great aroma um, but an average yield uh, where do you draw the line and and it doesn't progress in the program yeah okay so we have a fairly
2: definite approach to that in terms of the uh, experimentally derived yield estimates that we see Uh, anything that has a flaw in that agronomic or agricultural Mm. context we are increasingly eliminating as early as we possibly can in the program in in the in the market context the acreage required to develop the kilos or tons of hops to supply Mm. the market once you have a very low yield the acreage just gets too big and the costs are too high so even if you've got a brewer out there who might be ready to pay well above the odds it just doesn't stack up Mm. once you try and scale it
1: out to a, a viable Production scale. For sure. So there's, there's that production element as well as the actual sort of uh, cost of goods sold perspective Absolutely. from the brewery. So yeah. there is a ceiling on price.
2: Oh, definitely. Mm. You know, what, what one person might be prepared mm. to pay mm. for a
1: specific variety doesn't mean that it's impossible mm. to take that to market. Mm. The time it takes to determine whether an experimental variety can achieve favourable agronomic and flavour outcomes is reasonably long. Is there any way to shorten this and are you working on speeding up the process? I have a, I might be a little bit out of step on this one uh, with people around the world.
2: I, I, from what I've seen in my experience, my time here, one of the critical factors in achieving success once you go to commercial deployment is the number of years that you have had that genotype to play with before it gets to commercialization. We only get one shot per season. So we can improve the efficiency of different steps of the process, Um, but unless we completely change the production system, we're actually decreasing the time to market or or between uh,
1: crossing and deployment to market presents a big risk. You're saying there's a really strong correlation between us knowing more and more about the performance of a hop and its likely commercial success if it gets to that point. I think so. You need a mandatory or a minimum. You need to know, you need to have this hop in the program for a number of years. You need to see it at a decent mm-hmm. scale um, in different environments, different soils, different irrigation mm-hmm. contexts, mm-hmm. and to have it perform reliably. And I know that we touched on it in the um in the video just previously and it's and it's the reason Mark's joining us today. That that includes and is not just about the farm side. Yeah. This is the very same principle, I think, applies um, to us getting meaningful sensory feedback Definitely. back. And the more years we've got it in the program and the more times that that uh, brewers can give us meaningful sensory feedback, the higher probability of success yeah. when we commercialise. That's correct. I think so. It just It's a robustness test, if you like, and that just can't be achieved. All those different dimensions can't mm. be covered in a short time yeah. period, I don't think. Mm-hmm. So we we do have a long process. How can brewers stay across uh, what is in the program and, um, you know, what's in that in that pointy end, in that elite group? I think you know, Mark's, Mark's program is a good
2: case in point. They've stayed in touch with what we've been doing over a very long time now. Um, we're generally happy to have sensible conversations with brewers about the six or 12 genotypes that we might have at any one time right at the top of the program. Um, Once you go to a level below that, there's just so much material Mm -hmm. and there's so much information to comprehend.
1: It'd have to be someone who was really, really keen to actually stay across it in a meaningful way. Because as, as we communicate actively with the customer base all the time, when we're working with experimental varieties, there's no guarantee that they're even going to exist next year, let alone that the commercialization proposition. There's, there are so many unknowns yet to resolve. Uh, yeah. There's always that big caveat on, uh, you know, trialling experimental varieties. Yeah, and the other one too is we've, we've put those showcase gardens in place where we have a row of each,
2: I think there's, what, five or six experimental genotypes in both Victoria and Tasmania mm-hmm. that... They're all in one place. We can take people when we have people on farm. We can take people there, and you
1: can walk across the rows. You can see the hops growing and get a feel for the character. Do you think that early exposure um, to the to the advanced experimentals helps brewers um, helps inform brewers of of, of flavour possibilities? Uh, you know that could end up in in beer styles.
2: I would hope so. It's a little bit. It's interesting, it's really interesting to hear the brewer feedback on those hops, um, both from the field and once they take them into beer. uh, Hopefully we have material there that presents a new flavour opportunity for brewers. That's kind of what
1: we're trying to do at the moment. Yeah, I can definitely vouch for the fact that I've been in those showcase blocks with with brewers and and people. These, uh, These are more creative types than me and they can rub these hops and smell these aromas and and immediately they start visioning the destination and what yeah, right. they are going into you know uh, and they their vocabulary is just astounding it's one of my favorite parts of having um brewers on tour on the farm is uh, is that moment there in the in the showcase yeah nice talking about flavor uh you know if you if you could uh if you could breed a hop with any flavor what would you choose oh
2: okay I can, I can write my own story here because um, <laughs> I've got one in the program now that I'm super keen on, um, and I don't think there's anything like it around the world. It's ginger and saffron.
1: Wow. Yeah.
2: So if I can nurture that one through to some sort of exposure, I think we'd see people doing something exciting. In I, assume it's,
1: I assume it's uh, back in the program a bit. Uh, yeah, you're a two away from, yeah. From, yeah. Saffron <laughs> so. and ginger. Put that in your creative juices. Yep. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Mark, uh, again, thanks for thanks for making time to be with us today. Um, personal question for you to get us started. Uh, do you get excited about um, trialling new hops as they
3: come around once a year? OJ, I think uh, if, you, if you talk to my wife, I get excited when I talk anything to do with beer and anything to do with my job. So <laughs> she says that's. That's where my eyes light up, when I'm talking about my job and and talking about beer. So that's a pretty easy yes, but I suppose when we specifically look at trialing new hops and I'm heavily involved in trialing new barley varieties as well, there's a key difference, I suppose, with hops is is that we're always looking for something that is new and different. Hops have driven beer differentiation styles quite significantly, I suppose, in the last, uh, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 years. Um, so that you know, that's, that's what's really exciting and interesting and different about hops and, and new varieties versus when I make the comparison to, to barley varieties, which I also spend a lot of time and do work with, it's also exciting to me. But reality is I'm looking for varieties in, in barley that, that sort of just are going to replace the ones that we have and we're not looking for something new and different. We're looking for something that's actually going to give us the same flavour profile so in that respect you know that the evaluation of new new varieties in hops is is much different and therefore you know in this audience uh maybe more exciting more interesting yeah so the if you like the
1: um criteria that you're applying across and the measure of success across those two just as a a juxtaposition of two agricultural breeding programs the, the criteria for the barley programs and screening and the criteria and measure of success for the hop screening uh, programs are, are almost polar opposites.
3: Yeah, that's right, completely different. So that, you know, the barley program, we're looking for something that's going to give us exactly the same flavour profile, uh, you know, no processing issues, maybe some benefits, certainly, uh, but not necessarily. So, you know, it might have Lower beta glucan, which gives better filtration performance, and might have higher extract, which gives us you know higher alcohol yields. But but the hops is the opportunity to yeah to drive new products uh, and, and new flavours, and that's what's really driven the you know the big category I think in the last fifteen years. The um the, the poor old malt is falling a little bit behind, shall we say, at this point. Uh, although you know lately there's been lots of interesting work being done on. On the flavour that you can get from malt, so you know maybe it'll catch up, but I think it's got a long way to go. The hops have really taken the lead in that regard.
1: Yeah, most definitely, and and there are there are calls for that sort of flavour driven innovation in malt, um, and and I think the success of the hop industry, um, and and you know we're not HPA is potentially not that unique in the sense that we have shifted completely away from the traditional. Um, the pursuit of alpha etc which is more akin to the barley programs and have pivoted over into flavor now and and i think it's quite evident um, that the diversity of hop um, profiles out there now is is really
3: quite stunning quite impressive um but, i mean you, you mentioned about alpha so when you know you took at alpha I, I suppose my view on alpha is it's really just a commodity and, and where the alpha comes from is, is sort of less important when you're adding it purely for the, uh, for the bitterness in the beer. So, you know, yes, there's still a need for alpha, but then you look at also the, the, the categories that are driving volume more recently, and, and their beers that actually have lower bitterness. So yes, it's still important, um, but to me it's you know, alpha is alpha, and where it comes from is less important compared to the hops that are driving flavour and aroma.
1: Yeah, fair commentary. Uh, do uh, you know CUBs? Uh, and I refer to CUB because uh, that's uh, that's uh, my experience. that CUBs long run um, hop screening program is actually the longest running partnership um, in new cultivar screening here at HPA. Um, how long have you been directly involved in in that program through the CUB days?
3: I've, I've probably been involved for maybe 10 years or so and uh, I don't know if Simon knows, but um, you know, shout out to Mick Jontiff if he's listening or, or people that know Mick. I think Mick Jontiff started the program a long, long time ago and to be honest, I'm not sure how long ago it is, but I know the program started before we even had uh, you know, analytical capability to check on, on the, the different varieties. So that's something that's at least been around now for 10 years. Uh, yeah, I've got on.
2: records back to 2005, Mark, maybe maybe even 2002,
3: 2003. Yeah, so that that probably sounds about right. So it was really Mick uh, yeah, who started the program and started looking at new hops. Uh, you know, he's had a number of successes, I suppose, even early on, which hops which were at least uh, shortly commercialised that Mick used. Uh, often the, the new varieties were used in Cascade First Harvest, so that was uh, – a series of brews that you know that CUB or Cascade did for a number of years taking the new varieties uh so once they had gone through the screening program but then also putting them into commercial beers for for you know limited release
1: yeah I certainly recall through conversation with Mick that uh as you sort of refer to before we had analytical capability it, it, I remember him speaking about what that engagement took and it was really was coming on farm and walking around and and as Simon's described uh you know, keeping keeping across what varieties were available and what what would then be of interest to bring in uh to cB for for further um you know further screening in beer so to speak can can you um can you give us some insights into what the process looks like now uh, and we've already sort of talked about what you might be looking for in terms of diversity or stand-up flavors but can you give us a little more insight into nuts and bolts
3: Yeah, so CUB's in a fortunate position, I'll say fortunate position to have a PLC controlled pilot plant. So this is a small scale, we're talking about 100 litre sort of brew or 20 and 40 litre fermenters, but PLC controlled. So it's the ability to control your brew and your fermentations that drive consistency and outcomes. So when you're looking at screening barley varieties or hops, or, you know, other raw materials. It's about, it's a comparative uh, screening. So we are able to take standardised non-hopped wort from the big plant. So our pilot plant situated actually within inside the Abbotsford plant. So we don't have to actually brew for hops. We don't have to brew wort each time. We can take standard wort uh, from the big brewery. We can split that up uh, into six or, you know, more different brews, reboil. Add the hops and then standard fermentation, which is you know well controlled with our standard yeasts. So the program, I suppose, initially started uh, by adding the hops in the kettle late, so we were after the aroma profile. And to be honest, you know, way back then when it started, I think joy hopping wasn't even around. So, so at this point, you know, the program is still continuing to screen the hops in that that methodology, if you like, by late kettle hopping. Although it's, it is something to think about whether we should be actually then starting to screen the hops, you know, in, in a dry hopping method, which is, you know, very common and popular now, of course. So we, uh, you know, we've got standard non-hop work. We can add the, the, the new varieties, late in the kettle, reboil them, ferment them, uh, then goes through our taste panel. So we process the, uh, the beers, if you like, through to storage beer. Uh, And then our taste panel, which has been specifically trained on identifying hop flavours. And I think that's the other key that's probably changed in the last number of years now, is it's not reliance on one or two people to give their view or their opinion on the hop, it's actually a panel. And and panels, and I think the best way to do that, we've probably got a panel of now, maybe six to eight core people that have been trained in hop and identifying hop flavours and panels tend to give you a better outcome in one or two individuals. You know, one or two individuals may be, uh, you know, worse or or better in identifying particular flavours, but when you look at the panel average, that gives you the best outcome. And then the other thing that I mentioned earlier was, of course, is the, the ability to analyse hop flavour. So I think when we started back around maybe 2010, it was probably quite unique and quite different. You now we've got GC mass spec with, uh, solid phase micro extraction, and well, I think it was quite unique. Uh, Dr. Bob Smiley developed it at the time. And, and since then, of course, I think everyone who's working in hops has got this sort of technology, or at least access to it. But uh, I think it gives you really good uh, specific information on the sort of compounds that are coming through into the beer. And, and to me, that's, that's the key thing. So while we analyze the pallets, we can do that. Uh, but what's really key is what's coming through into the beer. And, you know, the transformations that occur through fermentation as well. So what what's, you know, and you know all this sort of stuff, but what's, what's in the hops, not necessarily what ends up in the beer. So, you know, I mean, I love to do a sniff and rub as well. Uh, and I think sniff and rub's really good at identifying or characterising a particular hop once you're familiar with it. Yeah. But for new varieties, and that's what we're talking about here, screening programs, you know, I, I think you really got to assess the beer to know whether that hop's got potential in terms of how much intensity it derives in the beer the flavours that it gets in the beer and whether they actually like those flavours, whether those flavours are different to, uh, you know, the hops that are already available. So, you know, I know we've looked at a number of hops in, in more recent years and we say, yep, that's really good, but it's probably pretty similar to Galaxy. And so, you know, from your point of view and from our point of view, you know, is, is there any point in releasing another hop that's you know the same as Galaxy? No, probably not. Uh, you know, unless that had specifically uh, you know a very much higher yield, then you know it'd be another sort of me-too variety. So you're looking for something that's a little bit different to than those hops that are already out there, and and being able to put it through the beer, the sensory panel, the, the analytical testing, that's when you can identify those sort of opportunities.
1: Mark, is there, um, I, I completely agree with, with with what you're saying there. The, is there, um, in that pursuit of difference and when you do identify uh, by panel, which I think is a really powerful tool, uh, do identify a hop with difference, is there a role for the smaller breweries in the SA Beverages Network um, in, in bringing these hops to life? Like how do you, once you've identified a, an innovation, agricultural innovation, how do you bring it to life
3: and explore the impact in beer more thoroughly? Oh, it's a great point you make, OJ. I, I think nowadays that, that the, uh, the group has got some craft breweries under its wing is actually going to make that much easier. So if you go back through the past, I mentioned, you know, Cascade First Harvest as limited release was, was a way to put new hops out there and get some really good consumer feedback. When you're a big brewery, everything tends to be on a on, you know, large scale. And so you're taking a punt on whether those, those beers are going to be successful in the market or not. You know, and I think we've released recently, you know, Fat Yak, Wild Yak have used you know, some, some more recent uh, new hop varieties, but of course they are done on a large scale. So that's a good point you make with the craft breweries. You've got that opportunity to do small batch uh, beers and get them out to consumers to get their feedback. So ultimately, yes. yes, our panel can have its own opinion on on what you know is a good flavour, but ultimately, it's the consumers that decide what's successful and what's not.
1: There's a big difference between um you know a, a 25 or a 50 heck brew house and even Cascade as the small brewery in the in the network at that time at 240 hecks or something like that. You know, there's with all the scrutiny that the traditional brands like Cascade come under, so there's there's definitely some potential there.
3: So you know, there's many. Many craft breweries in our group now and with the opportunity yeah, to do things much more nimble and quick and get that consumer feedback. So, yep.
1: And so we're sort of, we're sort of talking generally about harnessing agricultural innovation. It's, it's clearly quite tough um, and a long process. Can you give us a highlight from your time in the industry where you think uh, this has been particularly
3: important or, or successful in your, in your experience? Agricultural innovation, I think, these days is is around sustainability. So driving higher yields in particular. The example I think the best example I've got is actually in Bali. And and no-till farming systems in Bali has really driven uh, agricultural yields and and reduced water usage. And you know, looking at what's happening with climate change, uh, essentially, you know, the, the drier climate, the warmer climate's moving further and further south. Uh, you know, hops as well are a very water-intensive um, crop. And, and it's these farming practices that I think have, have really helped us in sustainability drive down water usage while still maintaining yield. Uh, and it, it's sort of, uh, you know, I think in the, in the video you mentioned molecular markers. It's that sort of uh, technology, new technology that's on the horizon that will help drive agricultural sustainability and, and uh, productivity going forward.
1: Sustainability is definitely a topic that's on our mind and, and we've got um, got a, a full um, uh, presentation and, and Q&A panel on sustainability later in the virtual harvest program. So, uh, yeah, we seek to uh, share our current state of affairs on exactly those um, topics because it does, it does dovetail into the whole uh, provision of choice and variety through the breeding program. <laughs> we have to be sustainable in that way especially given the long timelines that we're working on. You know, for,
2: we're not adapting the breeding program now for the, the climate and market context in 20 years' time. Mm-hmm. We're, um, we're behind the eight ball. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. Well, uh, I'd like to thank you both uh, for joining me today for a, for a chat about uh, HPA's breeding program. Mark, thank you for sharing your personal insights and your experience. Um, it's always great to see you. I look forward My to pleasure. the next time I can get into uh, get into Melbourne and have a beer with you. Yeah.
0: Thanks,
3: Mark. I look forward to uh, coming down to the gardens again when we get the opportunity. So thanks very much. You can
0: download a full transcript of this conversation with links to other information in the show notes to this episode. Brewery Pro content is presented by Brews News and is designed for the brewing industry professional. If you have any suggestions for topics that we can cover, email us at cheers at bruisenews.com.au. Thank you for listening.